once again to the Rock and Horror Popcast show. Mm-hmm. As always, I am your host, Rob Nicholson, here in the frozen tundra of Hopatcong, New Jersey, joined <laughs> by a special guest, my wonderful, wonderful partner in life, Gina Bongiorno. Gina, how are you tonight? I am well. I am toasty under. I have a blanket on. Yes. Underneath this and lots of fleece, and we have a heater, and yeah, yeah. So happy that it's the end of the week. This gentleman sitting right in front of you has kind of meandered his way through the pantheon of pop culture, starting with all my children on television and um mm. all the way through. And that is none other than, and because this is for all my office fans out there, none other than Tom Halpert himself. <laughs> Blake Robbins. Blake, welcome to the show. Nice to see you. Nice to be with you. A lot of people know you from Oz. Um, a lot of people know you just from the, was it two or three episodes of The Office that you were in, ultimately? I don't know. I, I don't know how to count it a little bit. Uh, we were we were in the, uh, the Practical Joke episode yep. um, where we met... Uh, you know Pam and and uh, at the restaurant and, and we did that. Then we did the uh, the wedding episode, which was a two part episode, sort of the uh, uh, whatever they called it, Niagara one and two. Mm-hmm. So we yeah. were in those. Um, there was a, an episode later that came a few years later where I I did a, a reading from the. Uh, it was supposed to be a flashback. One Corinthians. There you go. We're, 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 they had me do some reading. I, you know, Jim and Pam's marriage was a little bit on the rocks. And, yep. and they had this kind of flashback to to me reading from the Bible during the wedding, I guess, uh, uh, you know, to to set those things, you know, the, the wedding day sure. uh, to, to the present moment with them. Um, they did that like it was archive footage. However, it was not archival footage. We had to recreate. We had to go back to that location because we didn't shoot that oh. during the wedding episode. Wow. So it, was, okay. it was several years later. But yes, I got a phone call out of the blue saying, hey, are you available next week to come back and, and do something? I was like, sure, send me the script. They were like, oh, well, there's no script. You know, <laughs> because I knew the script was the Bible. Right. You know, and they were just going to have me read a passage. Um, but yeah, they, we, we, you know, they found some photos and tried to recreate as if it had happened. Sure. Several years earlier, which it had. But uh, so I guess that was an episode. But two, uh, 2.1 or 2.5, 2.8. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Depends, depends well, on whether you're asking an, an office fan or if you're asking like uh how many episodes do i get paid residuals for uh, right. i think i think technically i i think technically i might get residuals for one two three four actually five okay okay there i i, I appear i am recognizable for a brief moment in a clip show that uh that they put together at one point it's it's kind of one of the lesser episodes of the office if you ask me not that there are lesser episodes but it was called the banker okay yeah basically a show uh, essentially a, a show with a, a lot show. of footage from previous right. episodes right and it was uh, right before um right before the sale to um uh, yeah. just gonna yeah. say sabre, yeah, sabre. <laughs> <laughs> right right before saber tell me about how you got your start on the office ah uh you know it was a i i hadn't really done there's my puppy Ray making a 
quick exit entrance, which which is actually the reason I bring her up is because not Ray, who I've only had since August, but two other dogs and I were at the dog park walking, my previous puppies. Okay. And I got a phone call from my manager saying, hey, can you get down to Allison Jones's office by like two o'clock? This is like two hours later, three hours later. I lived up in Santa Clarita at the time. And uh, it was very, um, it was unusual in that they weren't sending me any script that I had never been to Allison Jones's office. However, I knew her, you know, in her illustrious career and um, that I was going to receive the script when I got there and I wouldn't be able to leave the office with it. And, and that I, uh, I don't know if they made me sign a non-disclosure about that. Maybe I signed it when I was handed the script. So Anyway, rush down there. Don't know what I'm auditioning for. As a huge fan of The Office and knowing that she cast the show, The Office, as soon as I started looking at the material, even though all the names were changed, I knew immediately this is to play Jim's brother. Just something about the... And it wasn't exactly... I don't. I can't even remember if it was the material that we ended up auditioning with. I think it was something from Employee Transfer, which was that... Frank show. I guess somewhere along the line, I learned that they were looking for actors that were six two and above. Oh, okay. That was part of the casting requirement. So I think that's you know I happen to be an actor who is six three, six three and a half. Okay. So I was on the shorter end of what they were looking for. Um, but it had to be at least six two, or else they weren't bringing you in. And uh, so it went in. I was a huge fan of the show, so I was definitely nervous but the the material read pretty you know it was good material you know they gave me like nine pages so there wasn't any i couldn't do anything other than kind of just read it and respond to her but i remember part of me as an actor thought to myself you know the thing about the office is none of these people on the show are actual actors so i was thinking to myself don't do anything Mm -hmm. don't be nervous be awkward be don't have any um relationship with like you know actors pretend the camera's not there sure right but on the show they actually make a point especially jim's character of acknowledging the camera and he starts to develop a relationship and that's part of the fun is oh look look what's happening look he comments on the things so because i knew it was jim i i also made my best jim look at the camera like (laughs) i i I made sure i threw that in into the audition right and I, and I just went with the awkwardness of the whole thing. Like, I don't know these lines. You know what I mean? So I could have been, a, uh, you know, an accountant from New Jersey. Like they sure. were looking, they were just, I could have been. Um, and I just, whatever actor intuition I had was, don't do this that well. Actually be as clumsy as you feel. You don't know these lines. You don't know what you're really doing. You don't know why you're here. And it's all kind of odd. So allow that to inform how you audition. I, I was I didn't try to be too funny. I didn't try to be too straight. I did look at the camera a few times ago. Well, that's it. I don't know what <laughs> else that, you need. I love more. that. Um, and, and in fact, at the time when I auditioned, I think they originally saw me for the younger brother. I think I went in for, and they just looked at me and said, well, I don't think he's younger. I think, you know, he's this or this. So, you know what I mean? So it was right. just about them finding the right puzzle piece. So it's, it's, it's more like, uh, don't screw it up for yourself, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and also don't try to overthink it because, um, it is a puzzle piece. You either fit or you don't. And so the only, only thing I tried 
to kind of focus on is don't be an actor doing this. Be an actual average Joe who's been pulled off the street to try and, you know, just deal with this situation. So the camera can make you a little uncomfortable. The situation can make you a little uncomfortable. That's okay. And and because that's how, you know, Jim's brother being pulled into the documentary. Right. <laughs> I mean, not the office, but being pulled right. into right. a show <laughs> where they're actually creating a documentary is weird. So the fact is that, you know, if you're in on it and you've known for years that Jim's in this works for this paper company, but they're making this crazy student film or documentary type thing that maybe your chance to be on there is like, oh, you know what? We're going to entertain the camera a little bit too, you know, have a little yep. fun, chew the scenery a little bit, come up with our own ideas, all those things. So that was kind of the spin. And and both you and Tug, who played your brother and Jim's other brother, uh, you guys nailed every single part of that that episode and Uh, it was so and i say that because it was so cringy i mean you guys were really beating the hell out of pam you know i mean (laughs) wow i remember my first approach when i actually so i get cast right i get the call and i'm like holy crap i'm gonna be on the office which for me would be like you getting cast on the office right you're like holy shit (laughs) <laughs> That's not, am I going to really be on The Office? Because I love that show. Yep. So I'm, and I'm worried right away, like, oh, I'm going to screw it up. I'm going to mess it up. I'm not going to be any good. I'm, I'm going to be the worst thing on The Office. Okay. Right. But all right. But it's still get to do it. It's still there. <laughs> but it is. It was like Willy Wonka golden ticket time because as an actor, I hadn't really done a lot of, I mean, I've done comedy. I've done stage sure. comedy. I've done some things. I mean, you do horror. So I don't know if you're aware of the film Rubber. But I yes. was in this movie Rubber that's okay. really funny in a different kind of way. So I've done comedy and I think, but I wasn't getting those, like I wasn't regularly showing up in Allison Jones's office. I was more showing up in things like Criminal Minds and Oz and, you know, and that type of world. So I felt like I had been plucked out of my life, even as an actor and put into this thing. So I was like, holy crap excited, nervous, anxious, but I felt like a fan who won a lottery ticket to, mm-hmm. okay, you get to be on the show. And I was like, two, two, two things. One, when I got there, I just soaked it up. I was just a sponge. I was, I was just on set whenever I could be around to watch them work, to see how funny they were. But the reason I brought this up, I was going towards this note. I had this idea of doing it with a little bit of subtle sophistication. I don't know why I was completely wrong or whatever, but I was going to do this kind of nuanced sort of thing. That was my brain child. I don't know. I was just going to do this thing. And, uh, and the director of the episode said, no, you guys are just douchebags. (laughs) I said, well, (laughs) he's like, just full on dude, as douchey as you can be. He's like, there's a reason that Jim turned out the way Jim did. And it's because uh-huh. you guys were being douchebags around yep. him for the last 30 years. Sure. And the douche, he was like, if you can out douche Michael Scott, I was like, well, that's nearly impossible. <laughs> but OK, we'll see. But but a different kind of douchebaggery. You know, right. he's right. He's got this really kind of ridiculously charming, endearing, you know, lovable at the same time. He's completely Well, and and with with Michael Scott, you see his heart. So with with you you guys, too, to certain things like he just doesn't know any better in a lot of circumstances. But you guys were like classic siblings 
who, you know, you can tell that there was, you know, because it never works with three because mm-hmm. there's always then two ganging up on one. And, yeah. you know, it's um it's interesting that you say that. Like, I never really thought about how, like, that would have formed Jim yeah. and how he would have, um you know, one, it kind of, I, it almost makes a little bit more sense, like, why he was easily goaded into the whole Dwight antics, too, sure. because yeah. this was, you know, his... His upbringing, so to speak. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, I mean, I know at least one of you because it's mentioned, I I don't know if both of you in the episode are from New Jersey or not, but. I think, I I think my character is from New Jersey and his character may have been Connecticut or upstate New York or, you know, it's still tri-staters and we we actually own the market on douchebags. I think it's in the state constitution. So (laughs) yeah. Um, and we're very proud of our state. We love our state. I'll also throw in, because I think it's widely known, there have been a few interviews, that we were based on Jim, uh, on John's actual brothers. Um, I have heard that. Yeah, there was there was some sort of um, tip of the hat to his actual brothers that he was raised with, his tall, you know, some someone. <laughs> I'm sure they're much better human beings than his brothers on the TV show, but for comedic purposes... And, um, but yeah, there was talk. We knew we, uh, you know, you know, the, they use, I think words like possible recurring. Okay. Okay. You know, you're going to be a guest star in this episode, but it's possibly recurring. Anytime your last name's Halpert on the office, you think it's possible recurring. Sure. However, there are other people on the show with the last name Halpert, some sisters and things. Yes. You know? So, so as a, an actor, um, you certainly feel blessed. And and the thing is snowballed, you know, into, I mean, even at the time it was a prized possession gig, you know, as an actor, you hope to be affiliated with casts yeah. and shows and work and actors and, and be around people like that. Um, but it has even exceeded my expectations. I never thought there would be um, conventions that I would be paid paid money to travel to be put up and thousands of people would come and be so excited to meet you uh to shake your hand to uh, you know the conventions are much better than the internet on the internet uh you know people have no problem letting you know how much they hate jim's douchebag brothers but (laughs) but in person in person it's like oh you guys are fun you guys are nice to be with you're good people whatever one fan the first day who said i wasn't sure if i wasn't getting fire fest mm-hmm. you know what i mean i'm paying all this money and i'm going to show up and there's going to be an empty hotel if i have to wait in line two hours to meet brian Baumgartner or two hours to meet you or two hours to meet it i don't care you nobody know? has to wait two hours to beat me <laughs> that's the <beautiful laughs> thing if you want to meet me, I think the longest wait we may have had was 90 seconds. So we're there. We're there too. Um, we, we didn't wait in, in very long lines either. No, we they really weren't bad. Right. But, but you know what? Those people haven't done other conventions. And sure. Things. Anyone's complaining. Hasn't really. They don't have anything to compare and contrast it to. And it was my first time too. But look, it, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Where else are you going to, I mean, I know, I know I was staying at a hotel and I was meeting fans 24 hours a day. Yeah. I was having breakfast with fans. I was having, you know, I was standing in, I was in my buffet for my, you know, my fake eggs, you know, <laughs> with, with kids taking photos, 
whatever. And I know it's not the same for everyone. I mean, there are, there is a hierarchy, you know what I mean? And some of those people are, you know, a little more protective of their time and space. And I certainly understand why, because they deal with it every day. Yes. I mean, we don't have to name names, but if you're, if you're, and and everyone deals with it differently, Mm -hmm. but I don't deal with celebrity like that every day. So I, my bandwidth for it, which is, you know, is a little bit like, hey, for these four days, I'm available. I'm available to talk, meet, whatever. And even then, I got exhausted. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I got exhausted. I got to where I was like, you know what? I just got to go up to my room and hide for a few hours. I'm kind of an introvert, like a lot of actors are. I'm not that, you know, that you do the thing. But but I get exhausted. And, uh, and you are kind of on from 10 in the morning to, you know, in the hotel, this and that. But... The fans made it a beautiful, beautiful weekend because they know the show. They have incredible appreciation for the people that put the show on and all of us in our little, and they know the specificities, the details, the and their appreciation for who we are and, and that we were involved in it. Look, I, I'll be blessed to the day I die to be affiliated with that show. And I have a feeling, <laughs> depending on what the next 10, 20, 30, hopefully, you know, because it could be 10 days. We sure. No one knows how much time we're given. But I just knock on some wood and startle <laughs> my dog. Um, but she's like, someone's here? <laughs> you know, I just knock on some wood because I don't know how long I'm going to live. But <laughs> if my obituary says Tom Halpert on the office, I'll yep. be I'll be more than pleased, more than happy. And, and truth of the matter is, uh, it's, it's about those fans because – the thing has grown, grown exponentially since it went off the air. The appreciation for it, the, the, you know what I mean? The, you know, you watch some things and they just don't hold up. You watch The Office and it's 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 as good now as it ever was when they made it. In fact, probably couldn't even be, you know, that was some of the debate at the convention was how much sure. of the actual office that was made could be made today. I mean, could you do a... Could you do, um, oh, what was the episode? Diversity Day. Could you I was do just going to say Day? Diversity Day. <laughs> And I think they should absolutely do diversity day now because it's needed more than ever. And it's a comedic satirical look at it. And it is like saying what's wrong. What is wrong with the universe that this is, you know, that he's this guy. I'll tell you as a fan of the show to be able to have a front row seat to watch. I mean, I was sitting in the wedding pews during a lot of the um, scenes that were, had nothing to do with me Mm -hmm. because we were all just, there we were at the church we we're hanging out the same thing when we we're at the rehearsal dinner we're all hanging out everything's around so you can kind of you know as long as you don't interfere with the work kind of creep around and i mean i was sitting in the in the pews during some of the scenes that didn't make the final edit um sure. having to do with oscar and brian uh the 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 shoes oh my the god thing, whatever it is. <laughs> and and I remember at one point I laughed out loud and, and I don't know if I spoiled the take or not, but I was like, oh, I got to go hide. I'm, I was way out. I got to be careful. I don't get myself in trouble here because just as a fan of the show, I was, I felt like I was watching a theatrical performance of the office right? and just getting to see. And, and, and that was the beauty also, you know, watching Michael, uh, watching Steve Carell work, watching rain work, um, it was like an MFA and comedic uh, acting and, and the amount of ownership they had over the, over the parts, the material. And uh, 
every show is beautifully scripted and that's the fun part of it. And, and, and the entire shift is, is scripted shot, but from there all hell breaks loose. Right. Um, and, and to watch them kind of do these things. And, and I may be talking out of turn to say, you can see Steve Carell as Michael Scott going, I'm going to make these motherfuckers laugh. Yep. <laughs> and and yep. doing it. I mean, when he tried to do the whole uh, smart cars comedy oh bit. Oh, my God. Oh, my I God. Him, I don't know how much of it was scripted, how much of it wasn't. But I just remember thinking, you know what? I'm going to think he's funny as hell. Yep. Because everyone else was watching him horrified. And I remember there was a little clip of they re did a shot back at, at us kind of watching. And everyone else was kind of like, oh, it's a car accident. Steve Carell's doing comedy. Yep. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's I just thought, oh, that's an interesting choice that Jim's brother thinks that Michael Scott's funny. He's just he's 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 so but, ridiculous. But, you have no. You have no choice but to laugh. But almost every single one on that show is someone you would love to spend an hour with. You, yeah. you know, that's and, so nice to hear. Too. And as someone, and as someone in the business, that is a rarity. That is a rarity. That isn't. That's not how it goes. That is an exception. You can be. You can be proud to be a fan of the people who created and were behind and in front of the camera on that show. There, they're almost all really really wonderful people and and jenna jenna fisher is at the top of the list she's now um, do, do yeah. you think that's why when these conventions come up and yeah. you know hamila said to me that she was she was shocked at the amount of people that just came up to her and said you know thank you for just yeah. what you did in the show and yeah. I I I think about that all the time and again comfort blanket whatever you want to call the show if everything finds you where you are you meet people where they are so yeah. you behind a screen whatever you may have done it may have been a joke that you said it may have been a line that you said it may whatever just a, yeah. a facial resemblance and that person was touched by you in some way so yeah. now when they have a chance to see and meet these people that have been part of whatever in their yeah, lives. I won't, I won't be surprised going forward ever since that convention. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was humbling. Um, again, you know, not every character on the show is as lovable as every other character. And I know, I, and I know that there are people that didn't love the brothers right? Uh, for whatever reasons, just, you know, uh, some of that was the effectiveness of what we did. You know, we did our jobs. We did it maybe sure. too well sure. to some degree. And, and I have no problem with that. I, I, I don't, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion on that or not, but the people that show up at a convention love the show and they, had an appreciation for every single person who contributed to that thing that they love. And because the show turned out to be um, this magical thing, this alchemy that came together, because I, you know, I don't know if it's already happened or not, but I think there will be people in the mental health industry looking at this time period of COVID and all this stuff and kind of the impact a show like Office had on the people Bigger. that were watching it through that time. And, you know, I hear, like, I hear Billie Eilish, 
you know, her, her fandom is pretty well known for the show and, and her, her, her own, um, her own forthcoming with her own mental health issues and struggles. And I think what you've talked about a few times has kind of touched on what I think you're talking about, which is there's some healing that goes on to have something that you, that is funny and touching and that you can find something new, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's almost like taking a hot bath. It's almost like going, it's content consumption that allows people to heal Mm -hmm. and just feel better. And so there is something going on that. I do think people who have mental health issues do gravitate to this show, but in a healing way. Sure. Because, because I've met many, and, and certainly at a convention, many people talk about how it got them through divorces, deaths of family members. There was a couple of women that came to celebrate a friend who had committed suicide. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I I, friend had turned them on to the show, you know, and then and then had taken her life. And they came to celebrate that woman. Any actor is grateful to be a part of something that helps. You know what I mean? That has an impact, right? I mean, I don't know. When I, I got into this business, I didn't know if I'd get a job and it took years to get jobs. So I can't help but it be anything but grateful. But to then to then be affiliated with something. So yeah, the, the hugs and the thank yous are genuine from the people that are there. I I often say that one of the one of my greatest rewards being an actor is that I give people, we give people the chance to go in another room and just forget about things for a while, whatever the things may be, whether it's political or, you know, a death or the news just in general, Um, you know, and we're able to to number one, get rid of poison that we have inside and also give that other person some place to, to just say, you know what? I don't have to worry about anything just for a little bit of time. And I think that's why when I, when I do binge listen or binge watch um, the show, it it, number one, it it spurs creativity in me. Um, Yeah. But it also just, if I'm having a crap day or whatever, it just, I can laugh. And it used to be just music that did that for me. I had to blast a certain yeah. song or a certain genre or whatever. And now it's not that. And, you know, Friends was the same way for me. Um, and it used yeah. to be, I used to split the year between Friends and and the and the office. Um, uh, well, you know what? I'll, I'll give you an example. What, what, I had a thought when you were talking about Friends. Mm-hmm. Very enjoyable show, great show. But almost everyone that showed up as a guest star was a celebrity. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. the, you yeah. know what I mean? You kind of knew them from somewhere. I mean, that yeah. was the formula of the show. You basically had the core six of them. Mm-hmm. And then you you had the attractive partners and the, and the funny partners and whatever. Yeah. But yeah. the guest stars were almost a collection of celebrities. Right. You know what I mean? And, and they could push that yeah. And they would, and that was fun. Part of the fun was watching, you know, Brad Pitt show up, you know, sure. blah, 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 you know, but they, but they could do that. Mm-hmm. But the office until the last few seasons where they did some of that themselves, you know, with certain people, but, 
But the beauty of the show was, and I'm going to tell you a funny, funny story. I think it's funny. I don't know if anyone else will. A Mickey Rooney story. <laughs> okay. Because um, it ties into this, what I'm going to say. But the rest of us were, you know, veteran. We were like character actors. Like, yeah, maybe if someone watched uh, Oz, it was fun for them to see me not as Dave Brass, see me sure. show up. Someone was a huge fan of Firefly. I mean, these are some of the shows that had mass followings. Mm-hmm. You know, and people would say, oh, that's Asian McGinnis from Firefly or whatever. But for the most of the universe, I show up and I'm not known from anywhere, you know, and, and most of the cast you're talking about. So for the fans of the show, for most of them, we're just the people on that show. Right. I mean, we're we're we are the family that they've fallen in love with, however you feel about Jim and Pam. Yeah. And, and they kind of see us in a weird way, even though we're only in those few episodes, you know, a year later when they're talking about, you know, something to do with the family or the kids or the kids, yeah. you know, or his sister or blah, blah, blah. People have a reference point. So it's like we exist now in the world as yeah. that thing. And we're exclusively that thing. Whereas Tom Selleck is Tom Selleck playing Courtney Cox's boyfriend. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Right. Exactly. It's like, so right. when a convention comes and we show up, that's the appreciation. I, I think what you're talking about, why, why not only the, 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 has the, um, the show become beloved. Everyone who is on it has become beloved in that role. Right. You know, however, and, well, and-, and, and, and the beauty of the people that put the show together is we all got our catchphrases. We all got our funny moments. We all yeah. had our turn in the sun. We all had our spotlight. Do you know what I mean? The stars of other shows don't usually, they aren't so deferential to the people who right. show up on the show. You're just there to support, but you know, on this show, everyone, you know, there was enough spotlight for everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Steve and John and Jenna, they weren't deprived of anything by being so generous with us to like have our moments, you know. So so when I'm signing those autographs, you know, they all have their lines they want to hear me say, you know, <laughs> too. And that's the brilliance of the writing team, the producing team, the directing, you know, and the people that put it together, the editor, yep, all that, you know. So, so I, I see why it's different because I don't think there are that many shows exclusively. Like, like you say, most of these conventions are for, um, you know, horror, and then mm-hmm. you can have a horror convention yeah. because you can spread the blanket out and everything. But how many standalone shows, right? Have fifteen thousand people show up. And pay the kind of prices. And I mean, let's let's, let's be honest. It's not not cheap. You know, people are investing some serious cash to be there. It's one of the reasons when I meet them, like, I'm grateful, you know. Um, You know, at the convention, every single one of you, whether it was for 10 seconds or 10 years, you, you meant something to people. And if, if that's included in your dash at the end of the day, you know what? Yeah. You can't ask for more. So now I, I have to really ask you, um, yeah. because I, I do want to get this this in. You break off from acting, 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 acting. And mm. you you start to create and you're you're directing. Um, and I did not get to watch your movie, the movie that I wanted to see, because I really wanted to ask you about working with Will Patton. <laughs> no, I can't talk about it until you see it. Sorry. 
Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. That's fair. Follow-up question in Chicago. We'll do yes, a follow-up yes. question in yes, Chicago. We will patent kick that. I'm totally, I'm totally I'm, kidding. I'll, I'll talk about I I'm just being a funny. I, I think I'm funny. Yes, you are. <laughs> that was funny. That was funny. Um, you upset yeah. me. <laughs> there are two types of actors. Actors who just do right and just like show me my line show me and 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 i'm not saying one's better than the other i just in my observation actors kind of tend to be either i want to know about everything i want to know the whole thing i want to know about the you know what he's doing i want to know what everyone's doing here i want to know you know and there are actors that are like thoroughbred horses that just put me in the gate show me my lines and i'm just going to run and and they don't want to know about any of it you know for them it's all just about you know, let me let me be this character and rip. I happen to be one of those actors that every time I was on set, I was curious about the entire process. So, <laughs> right? Yep. They're, not, they're not all like that. They're not. We're not all like that. That's why I was sitting there watching them shoot scenes of The Office that I wasn't in, and not back at Crafty or not just hanging out with you know Tug making jokes or whatever, which. I also did on occasion, but I can't help it. When 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 I'm on set, I want to watch. I want to see what's going on. And and I got really really lucky with my first job, which also a New Jersey show, uh, uh, Oz. Um, and uh, the beauty of that environment, which um, in a weird way does, even though the subject matter and the tone of the shows are totally different, it was as creative, as inviting, as collaborative as. It was it was just I couldn't have had a better first job. And without knowing I wasn't supposed to be watching everything they were making when I wasn't working, I just did. And no one ever told me I couldn't. Right. So I continued on my career thinking, oh, I get to I get to watch. Right. Um, it was only till a little bit later that I realized, oh, maybe I'm not maybe maybe some of these shows don't want me watching. Maybe they want me to get the hell out of the way. Maybe. <laughs> Except I got really good at watching and not being in anyone's way. So I just did it. That led ultimately to me having a moment of artistic empowerment of saying, you know what? No one's ever going to make me the lead in their movie. I mean, maybe they will one day. I don't know. Maybe there's no never. But I know that if I want to do it, the higher probability is if I create it myself and do it myself. So I wrote a movie for myself. I love that. Uh, it was a very personal story. It was something that was kind of, here's the thing. There are so many obstacles to creating a movie that if you can give it up for any reason, every reason will come your way to give it up. Right? So it's got to sustain you through every obstacle. Right. That the desire to tell this story has got to be so personal. And so that, that the thousand times that I quit, there were a thousand one times that I said, all right, let me see. Let me, let me try again. Let me, so that's ultimately what I did. And, and and I happened to be living at a time where as I'm observing the industry, and that was my film school. So I'm that actor who likes to observe. So I'm actually putting myself through film school by constantly watching what everyone's doing and how they're doing it, listening how the director talks, you know what I mean? And blah, 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 everything. So 20 years in the business, I start thinking, uh, but I started writing that script about 2002, 2000, after 9-11, because that was part of the inspiration for the first movie. Um, but I had been an actor for five, six, seven years. Um, so it wasn't like uh, that I went 20 years and did this. Sure. 
I actually started writing it in 2002. I just didn't get to make it until 2012. That's that's <laughs> You know, I had to carry this thing around for 10 years. And part of the reason I had to carry it around was uh, I just couldn't get it financed. You know what I mean? And it just, but also I started seeing the technology change and that I could make movies cheaper and cheaper, cheaper. You know what I mean? That the reality was there was a democratization of how you could make a film. It wasn't going to be $2 million, $3 million, which, you know, sounds like a lot, but it, it isn't for a movie. I started to see the possibility for a micro budget. Like how do I make a 30, $40,000 film right. and websites like Kickstarter start showing up and it's like, Oh, you can crowdfund these things and everyone. So no one's out 30, $40,000. People might invest in you 500 bucks mm -hmm. that, you know, let's make Blake, see if Blake can make his dream come true. And so that's what I did. I kind of did these two things. And, and and all of it out of necessity, necessity to tell the story, necessity, and by any means possible. And how do I create a movie for whatever resources I have? And uh, I went to college for business, so I applied all of that understanding to my business of how do I get this film made. And 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 the simple answer is this: you don't have to pay for everything. You just need to have everything you need to make a movie. But there's a lot of ways to assemble that. So that's one of the things that I did is how do I build a bridge to all the things I need to make this movie? And many of them have to be, I don't pay for them. Like, like I put my entire cast and crew from out of town in this one home because this lovely family donated the use of their home to us in that community to make that movie. So just things like that. How do you build that bridge? And the businessman in me figured it out but also the creative in me had seen so many things that I had all these ideas about how I want to do it, how I'm going to do mine. And so I created a film and uh, that was the sublime and beautiful, very personal story. It's a, it's a family drama. Um, and I would say, you know, you, we have these lightning strike moments. If you're lucky enough to do 25 years in this business, you know, which I have been. And for me, one of those lightning strikes, one obviously being The Office, you know, Allison Jones, go meet her and getting cast a week later. Um, another one was getting the call from Slamdance that they had uh, uh, chosen my film for their 2014 program. If I had known the statistical odds of my movie playing their festival, I probably wouldn't have submitted it. I probably right. would have just, I just didn't know at the time, but they picked it. They loved it and they embraced me as a filmmaker. And, and that started me to being, uh, I just write now. I write, I write creatively. I have three scripts I'm currently working on, two films, one movie. I, I think they're really good. I think my writing has gotten so much better. Um, they're winning all kinds of awards um, in, in major writing competitions. Um, and I'm planning to direct more films. That that first film got me hired to write to direct the second film, The Scent of Rain and Lightning, which I didn't write. Um, the one that starred Will Patton, amongst others, Micah Monroe, right. Maggie Grace, uh, Bonnie Bedelia, Mark That's Weber, right. Justin Chatwin. It's just a phenomenal cast. But it was based on a New York Times bestselling book. Um, it took place in that world because my first film was in Lawrence, Kansas, in that surrounding area. And this film we was set in Kansas, but we shot in Oklahoma. Tax rebates, all those types of things. But the book <laughs> itself is set in Kansas. Um, but those filmmakers saw my first film at a film festival and a relationship started. And then they started sharing the script with me and we started talking about it. And I was like, 
Yeah. And uh, and we did. We had significantly more resources. So we were able to have a few more shoot days and a bigger cast and get and people responded to the film. And 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 fortunately for me, I think every cast member that said yes to being in this first film saw what I did with my first film and responded to it. They they at least thought, oh, this guy can direct actors, he gets performances. I mean, I, I'm really proud of how that thirty thousand dollar film showed up. I was going to say, and and that's what I wanted to ask was, so $30,000 is the actual number, correct? That's the actual number. And 12 days. Yeah. Okay, let me let me, let me me be totally transparent because who is? Nobody is transparent. So I'm going to be transparent. I got through production with $29,000 in change. 20000 of it, give or take, um, was from a Kickstarter. And the other 9000 was some from some close friends and family who had pitched in that $9,000 prior to me running the Kickstarter for the 20,000. One of the families that lent me that house and, and, and saw what I was doing and trying to do and came visited set and just, just responded to me and my efforts gave me $3,000 after we made the movie to, cause they knew I would need money to, to finish the film. Sure. They didn't know how much, whatever. And they were just, and they were just benefactors and they just liked me and they liked what I was trying to do. And they saw how we treated everyone and everything. And they said, okay, I, I'm going to write you a check. And they gave me $3,000. That film for that $32,000 was the film that played at Slamdance. At Slamdance, small distributors were interested in distributing that film. And, and to not to get too into the weeds technically, that film couldn't have been, it couldn't have gone on the internet. It couldn't have streamed. It couldn't, you know, because we needed a final sound mix. We needed, you know, everything was temp. Everything was temporary, temporary. I mean, I had gotten a score. I had gotten a color, you know, I had relationships. So I pulled everyone in. So that film was pretty close to the finished film. It's just not a film that I could technically deliver because even that $32,000 film, we got a limited theatrical release. It did play in, 10 or 12 theaters when it wow. went out streaming. It seems the things that I write about are the things that cause me pain. And it's an effort to turn pain into art, you know, and I, and I, I haven't. Um, so beautiful. I wish I could take exclusive rights to that, but I think I've heard songwriters talk about that. I've heard other artists. I've heard Van Gogh <laughs> right. talk. Right, you know, right. I mean, just the way people. that you said Shared. that. I mean, just so beautiful. What, what do we do as human beings? We, we we take our pain and we turn it into art so that we can survive this madness that we, we experience, you know? And also, um, and it's just part of our fundamental coding or whatever to say hey look i i see you do you see me <laughs> you know this is what i see what do you think but but we all want to be seen and heard and 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 hopefully there are people in our lives that will say i see you you know what i mean i get it i know for me it's easier for me to talk about a specific project than this sort of thing you know is a, a mass as a right. real deal like bigger than I know it's sublime and beautiful when I wrote it. I really dialed in on this one mission statement. I wanted anyone who had experienced any legitimate, profound grief to feel seen and heard by my film because I felt sort of betrayed in my experience of watching films about grief because they all looked like they were lying to me. Mm -hmm. They all felt a little bit off. And that thing that was off about them was that 
you know, they're made for a lot of money and, and, and usually, and they have to try and recover that money. So they can't really tell the truth about grief, which is it just fucking sucks and you just get stuck and movies aren't allowed to be stuck. Do I mean, but a movie for $30,000 can do whatever it wants because no one's looking to be paid back. So I was like, okay, here's my opportunity. I am not making it for $2 million. No one needs their $2 million back. So I can make a movie about a person who is legitimately stuck in their grief. This thing sideswipes them. <clears throat> and that was the inspiration. And also I couldn't deal with 9-11. I, I was in New York the day of 9-11. I actually saw the second impact because I was a bellman at the Morgan Hotel. So oh, I was wow. safe a few miles north, but I looked up because people were looking up the street and it just so happened as they looked up and I had just started my shift like an hour earlier, the second plane smashed through. So from behind, I couldn't see that it was a plane. I only saw the explosion. <clears throat> but because I saw the explosion and the other fire was already burning, I immediately knew what the world would come to know later which was this is terrorism because i did i because nothing else made sense in my head so i immediately so i had my own relationship with 9-11 having witnessed it but from a safety yeah i was on madison avenue and and 30 so at the morgan hotel whatever it was 34th street something like that looking down but because i was in a hotel <clears throat> In New York, the coming weeks and months were really, really like no time period I've ever experienced, which is almost everyone staying there was working, working the grounds. Yep. Sure, sure. Or, going to give me cry twice, twice in one podcast. Fuck you. All right. <laughs> um, or they were there for so recovery. Sorry. They were there. They were there. There were a lot of people who came to recover sure. loved ones and go to their apartments and clear them out. It was a really, really tough place to be. I Happy. couldn't deal with any of all that, mm -hmm. right? So me as an artist, I told a very singular, small story. Like that felt macro, and I dealt right. with it micro, not macro. Sure. I just have a family, a family that's impacted by sudden tragedy. And, and really the inspiration for that was the sudden tragedy of 9-11. Of like you wake up one day and everything in your world is different. So that's kind of what, but, but what you're talking about in terms of creative artistic process, we could probably do a whole other podcast on it. You know what I mean? Um, where do ideas come from? Where does, I mean, I had un, kind of knowingly, I kind of went back and saw it, been preparing myself to be a creator for years without knowing, knowing I just like to to learn and understand and know the process and see how it came. I didn't know if I could write a script. In fact, if, if, if any listener is still watching your podcast by now, and I hope they are, but I don't know. I don't know. How, It'll be, it will we'll be attentive. Day, so. <laughs> I don't know how attentive your, your fan base is. I, I have this thing in my head that I'm boring. So Who's that's what fucking I overcome. Off this guy? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I overcome. That's what I deal with. Anyway, if you're still here and listening, let me share this. I never had a teacher. In fact, I'd had teachers tell me I couldn't write. I never had anyone tell me I could. So I had to care enough about it and needed to write so, so deeply inside me that I had to overcome the fact that no one ever said, you can do this. You're good sure. at this. In fact, all I could point to are times where I wrote where people said, oh, you're not good at this. You suck. You're not good. So somehow I want to, if anyone's still listening out there and they're, 
I could point to that and say, look, that, nobody encouraged me. That's a bad thing. Or I could look at it and say, somehow I needed to write so deeply that I did it in spite of no one ever saying, you're any good at this. And somehow I did it anyway. And I would say, anyone who's listening, do the thing that you know you need to do in spite of what anyone has ever to told you about it. Do it. 100%. You make your movie. If you need to make your movie, make your movie. Um, you know, do it on your terms. And so I think that's that kind of what happened with me with my movie. I had to do it anyway. And some of it was vanity. Some of it was I wanted to be a lead in a movie. Um, but that wouldn't have sustained all the rejection, all the hard times, all the no's. You know what I mean? There, there had to be a, there had to be something so deeply inside me that had to be expressed. And then once that happened, um. I don't know. I heard, I heard it's David Lynch talk about it. Once you get an idea that you handle well, yep. the universe will give you more ideas. Mm. Like once you, once you get an idea, if you, if you're able to somehow handle it well, and I think he's talking about have the determination, the, the grace, the humility, the, sure. the, the, the tenacity to see it through, which I did somehow with the, the sublime and beautiful that the present will be that the universe will give you more ideas. And that's kind of what's happened to me. I've I've since had more ideas. I've, I've written a movie about a, a girl in Kansas who through um, horrible circumstances ends up pregnant. She's 15. She's in a state that doesn't want her to have an abortion. Isn't No one's going to help her. And no, everything about it is against it. But somehow she, she knows that's what she needs and she finds her way to it uh, uh, with the help of an unlikely partner. Um, so I wrote that and it, and it was inspired by an episode of Rachel Maddow talking about how hard it is in Kansas and about how they killed the abortion clinic doctor there and everything. And so I, I decided yep. it caused me so much grief and pain. And then when I started looking statistically in the numbers of like, um, I, I'm a parent of two, uh, a 22 year old and 20 year old daughter. And I saw, if I told you this statistic, it would horrify you. Um, Less than 3% of all rapists ever see it at any time in jail. It, and that, Actually, yeah, that doesn't shock doesn't me. Surprise. It's horrifying, yeah. but it doesn't surprise me. 3% though? Like it, it, from, from. I, I thought for sure it was going to be in the 30, 30, 40. I mean, I knew it was going to be something horrible, but and, 3%. And, and just because of the just because of the the cases that have been brought out in media attention the kid from california you know privileged life privileged this that and the other thing um you know all of those things and it it, it, it i hate to say that it doesn't shock me that actually kind of i, I again as a as a dad to three daughters i 100 i yeah, I still hear it, and I still say I, I'm still shocked. So, as 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 a creative, artistic, thoughtful, whatever, I had to write something about it. I had to put my story. I had to put my spin on it. Um, I'm very proud of the script. I'm determined to make it. I'm still looking for financing. The right person has to come along. It deals with, and and it's funny. There's humor in this movie. Sublime and Beautiful has very no humor. It's devoid of humor, but this movie does, and it has a. a an optimism and a, and a hopefulness and a, and a thing. And, and I do think there's funny comedic moments uh, in it, but essentially I, I just, I'm horrified at the, um, 
the world that women live in <laughs> and 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 just how much of how how easy it is for us to kind of point to things like oh it's so much better here than anywhere else you know what i mean that oh we're in america you know who why are they gonna what's the complaint they could be in in iran iraq afghanistan whatever well, if that is that the is that really the true barometer? Is that because I'm telling you when I look at the statistics? Because another statistic that just horrified me is they're not being raped by strangers. Stranger rape is just almost sure. almost non-existent. It's just such a small fraction. It's always someone who that woman should have had on their side. Right. Should have been someone who cared. Someone who. And, and I just had to write a movie about it. I just, it bothered me so much. It couldn't leave. So I wrote, and I, and, and, and really the singular thought was I'm going to write a story about a rape victim who needs an abortion that if you can't get behind her, you can't get behind anyone. And then, and then it's not about the politics of it, but I want an audience to see a movie about someone. If you can't get behind this 15 year old girl. Yeah. And sort of care about her and be yeah. like, well, is this what we're really putting this girl through? Is this what the world is? Because people look at it and go, this can't be true. And I'm like, sadly, this is more true than not. Mm -hmm. Sadly, this is the fucking world for yeah. for too many too many women. We are we are we are not taking care of the women in America. Correct. And anyone who thinks we are, and then you look at the politics and what's going on lately. I mean, I wrote this movie years ago. A few years. I actually started writing it the day we went into COVID lockdown. Again, oh. being an artist who needed an outlet, I started writing it literally the day. I'd been percolating for a few months, but as soon as they said, "Okay, we're we're all shutting down," I needed to have something creative to do. I, that's just who I am. I'm wired. I, so I started writing it, um, and that's one movie. And then I have a horror film that's literally about what is really a monster. And and in this world, the monster is actually. It's based on a um, a Latino um, horror, like the boogeyman for them. It's called El Coco. Mm -hmm. And it's based on a Mayan. I mean, I, no one knows exactly where it came. It, it goes back to the Mayans. But in South America, in, in Latin America, it, there's all kinds of versions of this monster. But in my movie, this monster comes to this immigrant farming community in Southern California and it starts killing Caucasian, Caucasian people. And the FBI sends someone to investigate this. But the community is predominantly Hispanic. It's Latin. It's not Caucasian. Um, turns out it's kind of this otherworldly character. And, and the point of the movie being, um, what's really a monster? Because in this community, that monster, the monster of the movie, is actually not the worst monster for this community, ICE and uh, the politics and the, and the racism is more monstrous than and a real monster in my movie. And that's kind that. of the juggling drama. It's like, oh, wait a second. This movie is about this horrible thing that like that literally it's a slasher film, literally it has blades and for fingers and slashes things apart. But I hope when people watch it, they start to think, well, maybe the politics of the day are actually more monstrous than this yep. <laughs> monster for this community. Absolutely. And, and and I have I have to ask you because it's it's one of my 
favorite shows and one of Gina's favorite shows and we love watching it. And I don't think we're going to watch an episode tonight, but um, what was it like to work with the cast and crew of Criminal Minds? Oh, yeah. God. It's good. I Speaking of back, monsters I, and horror. Yeah, I have to go in Is the that... way back. I wish, I wish it was just right there for me. <laughs> Well, but you put so, me in the Wayback Machine, Criminal Minds. So the episode, yeah, he, his interaction was with Emily Prentice, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Who was yes. on, who who was on Friends? Who yes was, was on Friends. Um, and she's I just, wonderful. I she's love wonderful. her character. She she is. The more I watch it, the more um, you know. It, it's always easy to 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 like JJ because you know. She's yeah. JJ. She's a very likable character, but the character of Emily Prentice, and especially now with the newer episodes too, like she is, she is like female empowerment. Like yeah. I just love her. She let the hair go. She let the hair go gray without dyeing it, and she yeah. she's I am woman. Hear me roar, and I love it. And she's so beautiful. Yeah, yes. and she's gorgeous. Yes. Yeah, that's she's- who she is, and that's why that character took that because they started. You know what I mean? Those things happen because, you know, much like the office you know and so many of the characters are so close to who they were because the brilliance of the creatives were like wait creed is too good to not have in the show so he gets to be a part of it but it's because he's creed yeah (laughs) see the opportunity you start to think i mean i remember this on oz i was like are they writing for me or am I teaching? You know what I mean? There's, there becomes this sort of assimilation of who's leading who. Right. I start to wonder if you're starting to carry the thing. Um, again, I'm overstepping because I don't know, but I know a little bit about her. But I, I recently read something where she talked about her refusal to get plastic surgery as an aging actress. And from her. Life, that sounds familiar. Yes. From her. Kind of recent, whatever. Um I didn't work with her that much, but I remember thinking she's just one of the good ones, just lovely human being, just a wonderful person. Um, sadly, <laughs> only sadly, the the horrible experiences are the ones that kind of stay with you in your bandwidth. Sure, like, sure. Like the ones that are really, really good yeah. because you have. I mean, I'm I'm so again. I don't want to knock because she's sleeping, my puppy, and I don't want to wake her up by knocking on wood. But I've been so lucky to have had you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm pushing 80 or 90 professional IMDb credits, not including theatrical and stuff. That's a lot. And when I got out of acting school, I'll say this, when I got out of acting school in 94, 1994, if someone had approached me and said, hey, I can tell you, I can tell you, you're going to be sitting on this rock and horror podcast show and you're going to have 80 <laughs> credits and you're going to have you're going to have been on Broadway and Rita Moreno is going to have come to see you and your play. Oh, and oh, oh. You're, going to have, you're going to have had done all these things and you're going to have been on this show called the office. And, and, and it was, and, and they told me I was going to be sitting in this moment, having exactly what I have. And I got to be honest, there's, I struggle every day with rejection and wanting more and feeling not good enough and, 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 and aspiring and not knowing where the next, paycheck is going to come and pay the bills. And so it's not an altruism of this is the most amazing. I'm amazing. It's not, it's not that, but as an actor getting out of acting school, you told me I could have had this. I would have signed that paper. I would have said, I'll do that deal. Um, 
with all the hiccups, all the ups and downs. So I feel very blessed. And, um, and, and I would factor criminal minds into that. Um, it was a lovely casting office. I love Scott David, the people that cast that show. I, I had worked with them theatrically. They'd always, they, they seemed like they cared and liked me. I did a play for them. Um, so that whole experience was good. Um, Jennifer, who was on Party of Five, who played the woman who was kind of more central to the storyline, right? It was kind of her. Yep. She was kind of the potential victim with, I believe there was a, an arsonist murder type thing going on. And he was picking off these people and she was going to this. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really reaching into it now, but I believe she was showing up at like uh, one of those groups. I don't know if it was like yes. an AA. Yes. Right. Something like yep. that. And and he was, it was, and uh, he was, it, it was the, he was, he was, um, he felt like he was doing them a favor by removing them of their the, pain. The, they had just lost, um, there was like a fire in a school. Yeah. And so the people that were affected oh, right. by yes. the loss of the children, right. um, he was going around and making it look like various suicides. Yes. Right. Um, yeah. Because he by, felt like he was absolving them of their pain. Yes. I mean, so, yes. so total criminal minds, MO, yes. <laughs> crazy, insane person who needs to be stopped, who's just... Yes. And I remember even the actor who did it, who's done a lot of things, was a really good actor. I remember Yeah, that. he had... Yeah, we, we found... He's done a lot. I So w when we watch something, like, she knows, she goes, yep, there goes Rob with IMDb. Yeah. I, Always we, Rob with the IMDb. We, we have, like, this right. code. I'll be like, that's a person. And all I have to do is say, that's a person. And there he is. And he's <laughs> rattling off. So part of me, well, hates you know what? What's that? Well, you know what? It's I think it's cut the divorce rate in this country down by 50 percent, whatever it w was before the Internet and IMDb. It was 50 percent <laughs> higher because I remember my, I'm old enough to remember my parents would fight over these things right. like tooth and nail. Like there's no way that's the person from that yep. movie. Blah, blah, blah. And there was no way of settling this argument. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when this argument could last weeks and right. like literally divorce people, divorce papers could be drawn over yes. a guest star on a TV show being so-and-so no way. That's not that person. And now all of these arguments, much like directions, sure. much like fighting over directions, have just gone. They're gone from the face of planet Earth. My parents fought over the directions to get from point A to point B. Like I don't know how a marriage survived there. I don't know what I don't know why people are getting divorced anymore now because you can find out who is who in what show and how to get from point A to point B from anywhere now. What it, it, what is our problem? What is it, our problem? Why aren't we staying married? <laughs> and I think um it might be Amazon. Amazon yeah, Prime. Amazon the, runs IMDb. They have the, the you're because, right. Because they own everything. Yes. Don't let anyone know. Jeff Bezos. <laughs> when it started, they didn't own it. They decided that, they wanted it and yep. they own it. And they bought it. Yes. Um yes. so they're gonna own they, everything eventually. They have X-ray, that X-ray thing when you're watching Prime Video, and you don't even have to look up IMDb because it's built into the fucking thing. <laughs> So no. it's like who's on the who is on the screen right now, and it says yeah. Blake Robbins. You know, <laughs> holy shit, yeah. you know. But I think I think that episode you may have had. Um, I think subconsciously I may have seen your name come across the yeah. screen. You know, when right. they come back from the credits, 
and you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I didn't think anything of it. And then all of a sudden you were there. And I think I said to you, I said, that's Blake. I said, that's him. That's Jim Howard's brother. Like we're friends. Like yeah. that's the guy from that's the guy from the barbecue last Friday. Exactly. <laughs> so you know, and and that's happened now. So I mean it's happened with Jackie, um, you know, and, and other people in, in my sphere. Yeah. Um yeah, there's a marketing that. term. There's a marketing term for it. It's called cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Once you connect with something, like once you go buy a white Prius, all you're gonna see on the road are all the white Priuses. Once you once you see like I'm a fan of the office, and once I know the office, I'm gonna it's like six degrees of every show yeah. is gonna have someone sure. from yep. the office is gonna show up. For sure. So it's good. It, I mean, I guess it's good for us. You bring up a funny thing. Most of the time I'm recognized, it's not like, oh my God, you're blah, 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 blah. From It's usually like, do we go to school together? I'm like, no. <laughs> Are you in my church? Do you go to church? <laughs> this church? No. About, about the second question, that's like something obvious. And I, if I don't recognize them, like mm-hmm. can place them from my life, I go, I act. I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes on television. Then it starts clicking like, oh. Because their immediate reaction is, I know this guy. He shows up in my life somewhere and they yeah. can't place what it is because because it's not nailed down. Like I do have a career where it's not nailed down to that one thing. Right. Sure. Um, yeah, there's a marketing term. There's a marketing term for it. It's called cognitive dissonance. Oh, yeah. Once you connect with something, like once you go buy a white Prius, all you're going to see on the road are all the white Priuses. Once you, once you see like... I'm a fan of the office. And once I know the office, it's, I'm going to, it's like six degrees of every show yeah. is going to have someone sure. from yep. the office is going to show up. For sure. So it's good. It, I mean, I guess it's good for us. You bring up a funny thing. Most of the time I'm recognized. It's not like, oh my God, you're blah, 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 blah. From It's usually like, do we go to school together? I'm like, no. <laughs> Are you in my church? Do you go to church? This church? Nope. About about the second question, that's like something obvious. And I, if I don't recognize them, like mm-hmm. can place them from my life, I go, I act. I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes on television. Then it starts clicking like, oh, because their immediate reaction is, I know this guy. He shows up in my life somewhere and they yeah. can't place what it is because because it's not nailed down. Like I do have a career where it's not nailed down to that one thing. Right. Sure. You know, like a lot of actors do get pegged as this thing. And yep. so it's immediately Jackie most stripper. Of, most of the time for me, it's like, where do I know you from? Right. Uh, for about two years, I was the guy from the Hanes sock commercial because that Hanes sock commercial was on all the time. Okay. Now see, yeah. there, there, there's the thing I got to find there, now. There's the picture he's searching for. <laughs> see if you can find me in the Hanes sock commercial. <laughs> I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. Put I it, Honestly, Everything. it was the gift they kept giving. It played for like seven years. Everything is on YouTube. <laughs> almost, almost everything. And what were you on? And what um, are you on Playbill.com? So I can look up your Broadway credits. I, I think so. I, I appreciate that you said credits. Like there's many of them, but it was credit. <laughs> oh, credit. <laughs> Credit. Um, I did. Uh, I, I was in The Man Who Had All the Luck, which was Arthur Miller's first play that was revisited wow. through um, the um, 
Oh, what was the theater? The Roundabout Theater. Okay. Uh, Scott Ellis put it on, and uh, I was an understudy for three of the characters. And I showed up for the table read, and there's a big square rectangle table. It's a big cast, like Jim Rebhorn. I mean, uh, uh, Chris O'Donnell was in it, Samantha Mathis, a bunch of great veteran character actors. Uh, Richard Reilly was in it, and uh, so great cast. And I was an understudy, just covering three of the roles. Um, so you're so, like a swing. Yeah, so stories are running through my head. So I'm going to cover three of these roles. And um, and for some reason, the way that the name plates, the little name tags are put up, sure. I'm like right on the corner of the head table where Scott Ellis is sitting next to Arthur Miller. At the wow. time, I was like, I'm, I'm way too close to the to the front row here for my comfort. I really want to be in the back <laughs> at the other side of the table, but you have to sit where they put the thing out. And we took our first break. And the first thing out of Scott Ellis's mouth is, when does Oz come back? And I was like, I just got this job because you're a fan of Oz. And he was like, well, you were good. You were, you were good. That's so cool, though. It's okay. Got this job. It's okay. Um, I just came in. And I kind. I guess I could have. I could have acted myself out of a job, but he was a big Oz fan. I ended up in it. And. And I got to meet Arthur Miller and and that's that's awesome. And I was doing Oz at the time. And when I did get to go on, here's another nice thing. Because it was unbeknownst to me. Rita Moreno, who was on Oz and who is a legend, uh, you know, that's then true. and still is. I mean, um, she was so nice and so friendly and such a great person. Again, like like the office. Oz, just a beautiful, beautiful group of people and a large ensemble show and everyone pulling the right direction for the right reasons. Um, so she found out when I was doing this performance because she knew so-and-so was going to be missing the show. And that was one of the roles I was covering because I didn't even know this would happen until my mom told me later. So the, they give you house seats and they're the 10th row center, basically. And I was given because, because Scott knew the director and they were like, you know, invite your family. <laughs> you know, we know you're going on this night. So my parents came down from Boston, north of Boston, and they were there that night. And my mom sits down and sitting right next to her is Rita Moreno. Oh, my God. Now, here's the thing. You know, at this point, I don't think my mom had even seen Oz. So she didn't know that I knew Rita, whatever. But she was kind of, and she was stunned and she's turned and she said, oh my gosh, and, and something. And they ended up in a conversation and uh, Rita said, I'm here to see a couple of friends. And she named one of the other actors in the show. And she said, and Blake Robbins. And my mom said, she just almost fell on the floor. She was like, that's my son. That's my son. That's why we're here. She's like, I didn't know you knew him. She goes, well, we worked together on a my mom could not believe that she was they were both sitting there to see Blake Robbins in an Arthur Miller play it was kind of ridiculous um what a fun moment for your mom though <laughs> crazy well yeah. and, and my dad and my dad who was next to her but probably didn't get a word in edgewise but yes <laughs> yes and as much as I love Rita Moreno I, I I think I might have been more like about Arthur Miller <laughs> so <laughs> yeah for opening night, he signed baseball because there was a strong baseball theme in the show. The, sure. the show was his very first play. I think he wrote it when he was like 20, 21 in it. And wow. it did run on Broadway 
it did run on Broadway way back, but it only ran for like a month. It was just a big bomb. But then Arthur Miller became Arthur Miller. And so one of the things Scott Ellis and the roundabout did was, well, now all these themes are through all his plays. And even though his plays have gotten better, it's historically important to kind of show the context of like where a lot of these stories were still percolating and starting. I mean, it was very much the father son thing. There was very much the, the fate versus free will, how much, you know, control of our own destiny. Do we have all these big things? He was even as a 20 year old beginning playwright, writing a less than stellar play was working on. I think that's what we should all strive for as writers is, you know, I want to become so well known as a writer that they will go and produce like worst thing I did thing I ever did ever like right at the beginning. Thank you so, so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing. Um, I'm really sorry. I made you cry twice. (laughs) No, it's good. good Hey, you know what? If that's my calling card, that's my calling card. I make people cry. Barbara Walters. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But thank you so, so much for taking out this time. Um, sure. For Gina and me and our cat Obsidian upstairs that is meowing. <laughs> Love you guys. We'll talk to you soon. And I am out. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, Ray. Say good night. No. Good night.